Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, and welcome to the Tracy Sandler Show brought to you by FIVO. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, and I'm very excited to welcome to the show today. First, I have the Sun Sentinels, David Peronis, to join me to talk 49ers Dolphins. And then stay tuned, you guys. Got my Michigan shirt on. Stay tuned that I have Colton Denning, who has an Ohio State podcast, the Two Stripes podcast, and we talk the aftermath of Michigan-Ohio State. But first, we have a bit of a chess match that'll be going on at Levi Stadium on Sunday when Mike McDaniel returns to the Bay Area, now head coach of the Miami Dolphins, to meet his old friend Kyle Shanahan. It's a bit of a reunion week, like all over the place. But David, welcome to the show. It's going to be a fun one on Sunday. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, it will be fun. So many storylines, but yeah, definitely headlined by uh, Mike McDaniel, Kyle Shanahan. So first time uh, we see them go up, up against each other and now both as head coaches. So uh, really exciting. And both teams winning so much. Uh, something's got to give on Sunday. And it's an important game for both teams and for the, we're recording this on Thursday for the Dolphins. What happens in the Patriots bills game on Thursday night adds potentially even more pressure for them, but let's focus on Sunday. Let's start with this chess match between two head coaches who know each other so well, two head coaches who are really known as offensive geniuses. I mean, I I'm kind of excited for the play calling on Sunday and, and seeing how this all is going to go. But you know, from the Dolphins perspective, They may not have Teron Armstead, which would be a huge loss, and Tua may suffer accordingly because the difference in pressure is pretty massive uh, when Armstead is not in there. But let's talk a little bit about this Dolphins offense and why it's been so successful and what Mike McDaniel has been able to do there thus far. Sure. Well, uh, first you start with Mike McDaniel, uh, the implementation of his play calling and his scheme, his creativeness, innovativeness. Uh, that you guys all know so well from uh, San Francisco, mm-hmm. bringing that over to Miami. And um, it, it, in the run game, it hasn't uh, really presented itself so much. Uh, so yet, um, not consistently, at least there have been some flashes of it. Uh, but Raheem Mostert, of course, Jeff Wilson now here, uh, a couple of other guys that you guys are very familiar with uh, out in the Bay Area, uh, but uh, still getting going. And uh, and then Tua Tungavailoa just taking the next step. Uh, and of course, we have a weapon like Tyreek Hill to add to it uh, when, with Jalen Waddle making second year strides and I have two of the top five receivers uh, by receiving yards in the National Football League uh, Tyreek Hill has just presented such a a deep threat that has uh, opposing safeties playing so far behind. And uh, that's just opening up those uh, intermediate routes, a lot of 15 or 20 yard, uh, just wide open him and Waddle uh, finding themselves. And then uh, into it uh, delivering the passes. So uh, Teron Armstead has been huge for this offense. Offensive line has made huge strides from what, where it's been in the past, where last year to actually had the, the lowest average pocket time uh, to, to throw in the league. And then uh, now Teron Armstead at left tackle has just, created another level of uh uh really is just the, le- the leadership because the, the whole offensive line has taken after him the three-time pro bowler coming over from the new orleans saints and uh really uh, for the dolphins and mike daniel he could be almost like a, his version of uh of a trent williams that he always had in, mm-hmm. in san francisco so uh just to have that guy that bookend left tackle uh that could uh, spearhead the run game and then also protect on the left side too his blind side of course being a left-handed quarterback is the right side so uh they also have an injury to the the other tackle austin jackson so potentially two backup tackles in this game uh with uh, the fierce 49ers pass rush and nick bosa a south florida guy st thomas mm-hmm. Aquinas high school uh so uh that is uh, something I, I am uh, looking out for uh, on sunday Basketball is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. And obviously, you're not a psychic with a crystal ball. 
Uh, but I'm, that doesn't, that's not going to stop me from asking you a question that you probably don't know the answer to. But what do you <laughs> think the odds are that Armstead is going to play on Sunday? I would put it very low. Uh, Mike McDaniel left it kind of open like he could, but uh, from a pictorial strain uh, that saw him exit early in the, at the end of the first half last game, I, I find it to be really hard to imagine that uh, in, in a week's time he could return. Uh, so we just uh, were out uh, at practice and uh, he was he's missing his second consecutive practice uh, here Thursday. So uh, usually Thursday would be the day that he does work. He usually just practices once a week uh, as he's been dealing with a toe injury as well been nagging since week one uh but now add the, the pictorial strain is uh is the greater emphasis greater concern uh so now i, I see it as, as very low and then uh, we're probably going to see uh brandon shell at right tackle and greg little at left tackle that's what i would do at least uh with um little's more experience on the left side and shell's uh, greater uh, career experience on the right side uh shell when armstead initially went out went into left tackle well to keep Jackson who had just returned from not playing since week one on the mm -hmm. right side. And then, uh, shell didn't look so great. Look, didn't look as comfortable. He's had most of his experience on the other side. Uh, and then little is more of the, the guy that's versatile. He could, uh, he's kind of even with, uh, how he looks on either side. So maybe more versatile in that regard. So we talked, you, you touched on the run game and I want to get to that as one of our big storylines, but first want to talk about the receivers. Obviously you brought up Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, by the way, I do think Waddle is like one of the great names for a wide receiver, maybe ever. So I'm super into that. But Kyle, great so, name and celebration uh, combination. Yes, that we have. Was fantastic. Yeah. It really it was like written in the stars. Really, you could not have scripted it better. Uh, but Kyle Shanahan was talking on Wednesday and said, basically, I'm summing it up, but that there's really no one like Tyreek Hill, and he's such a talent. He's such a tremendous wide receiver. Just what a difference. And this sounds like such a simplistic question, but what a difference has he made? Tua in this offense because I mean clearly one of the best in the league they are two two of the top five when you just look at the stats but kind of Tyreek Hill of course has a little bit of that x factor yeah a, a world of difference because uh, the, just the windows are so wide open for, for Tua to throw to and um and and, and he's, he's reading the defense as well, uh, able to, to, to find the open man and uh, really play within the system. But uh, yeah, when he's Tyreek Hill's leading the league in, in receiving uh, by one yard over Justin Jefferson, still holding on mm -hmm. to that lead. He was on a record pace er, earlier, but then a couple of games where, where uh, he didn't put up as much, uh, has him a little bit under the pace now, but still on pace to get to 1,900 receiving yards, which is uh, phenomenal. Uh, so yeah, and then... He hasn't been able to get the ball. Tua hasn't to uh, to tight end Mike Kosicki as often uh, with the differences in the system. Uh, Kosicki may be more so uh, a fit of the previous offense and in the wide zone scheme, uh, not really a great blocker. So uh, hasn't been able to, to get going, get on the field as many snaps as before. Uh, but that would be interesting if he could also, because we've seen in the past uh, how much of a receiving threat he can be mm -hmm. as really the, the one possession guy who uh, is six, five, six, six and long arms and he can go up and get a ball over a, a defender. So where Tyree kill and Jalen water, more of the uh, diminutive quick receiving threats and um, really complement each other uh, in, in that way. Uh, kind of being just, well, you have one guy, well, it's better to have two. If you have one Tyree kill or Jalen water, well, you can have two on the same team. So, uh, Really, you can't double team either one of them. Uh, so, uh, or someone's going to be left wide open. I, I like that you use the word diminutive. That is a really like just a, it's <laughs> underused word, and it's really perfect to describe them both. So, let's talk the running game because this is another big storyline. Of course, you have Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson Jr., both former San Francisco Niners. Jeff Wilson Jr. traded to the Dolphins at the deadline after the 49ers traded for Christian McCaffrey. So, on Sunday, not only is that a reunion, but the storyline continues because the 49ers are going to be without running back Elijah Mitchell, who was coming back from IR when they made the trade. He is now probably going back on IR. He has an MCL strain. He'll be out another 68 MCL sprain, another six to eight weeks. Christian McCaffrey, who he's Christian McCaffrey, but he's also dealing with what they're calling knee irritation at the moment. So it is TBD whether he's going to play. He did not practice Wednesday. The 49ers have not had Thursday practice yet, but you guys pay attention to my Twitter and I will make sure to update you all. But we have, they haven't had Thursday practice yet. So this becomes, aside from the reunion fact, this becomes even more of a storyline. There were people at the trade deadline who felt like trading Jeff Wilson Jr. was a mistake because Elijah Mitchell has struggled so much with injury in his young career. And in this Kyle Shanahan offense, running backs get hurt and having an embarrassment of wrenches there 
wasn't the worst idea. They were in a spot where Jeff Wilson wanted to be traded after the Christian McCaffrey trade because he wanted to be somewhere where he could, you know, have more of a contribution. So here we are. So as luck and the stars and or bad luck really would have it, you have the Dolphins coming to town with two former 49ers running backs and potentially the 49ers two best backs out on Sunday. So there is a fun little storyline as well, because that's the NFL. It's drama. We love it. Right, definitely. And uh, so now uh, the, the 49ers tandem that could have been is uh, is in Miami and, and, mm-hmm. and under Mike McDaniel as well. And, and coordinated not only the offense uh, last year, but then the, the run game the, the previous mm-hmm. years, including that 2019 season when, uh, when yeah. Raheem Mostert uh, went off. And, uh, and of course, uh, had that epic four touchdown NFC championship game that I know lives in uh, in San Francisco lore. Uh, <laughs> sure does. Sure. Uh, yeah, to get to the Super Bowl in Miami. I, I, and, uh-huh. uh, I covered, it's all now and not as much. All comes together. <laughs> <laughs> it is it's like the yeah. mind blowing emoji. <laughs> yeah. And now, and now Jeff Wilson uh, has been a huge get for, for the dolphins who early in the season uh, had a run game that hadn't really gotten going. Uh, uh, they thought Chase Edmonds could be the guy that could work with Raheem Mostert, but that didn't really uh, develop uh, him being more used to uh, historically the inside zone scheme, uh, just uh, ne- never really clicked for him. Uh, so outside zone, he had some, struggles picking it all up and uh, and really Wilson and Mostert is more of a of that classic combo of Wilson being the physical runner and mm-hmm. and Mostert being the the speedster so uh, I think they really fit in uh, well with each other Wilson has a touchdown in each game uh, with the Dolphins since uh, the trade occurred so that's uh, three touchdowns in three games <laughs> right uh, and, uh, and and a big game against the the Browns where uh, both of them uh, really got going the, the best rushing effort that, uh, that the Dolphins had seen that was on the other side of, of the bye after uh, really uh, the, the the Texans game that they just played was a little underwhelming in the run game uh, especially having a lead the whole time uh, they didn't really uh, keep it going uh, late but uh, but yeah, and everything comes full circle now with uh, with these mm-hmm. two guys, and and now healthy. Most have missed the the Texans game. He's expected to to be back uh, with the with the knee injury, but uh, and Wilson, of course, is healthy. So I think let's talk a little bit of 49ers defense because we touched on it early on uh, with the potential backup tackles, the pass rush, and Nick Bosa. But this is a defense that's been rather incredible. Has not allowed a second half point in four straight games. They went above and beyond the other day and just shut the Saints out entirely and real and came close a couple times to that not being the case and, and really made it happen. This defense has been pretty much incredible. They are the number one defense in the league. So now they go up against Tua. They're not, I don't think they're shutting anyone out this week because there's just too many <laughs> weapons on the Dolphins side of the ball. And I'm going to include the head coach in that. So I don't think that they're shutting anyone out this week. But it's going to be a really fun matchup because you have this incredible defense against this prolific offense. The tackles will make a difference. You know, the, the big thing here, of course, is going to be being, bringing pressure to Tua. Uh, Nick Bosa just named NFC Defensive Player of the Month and 10 tackles to five for loss and I believe three sacks in November. So not too shabby. Uh, so that's going to be kind of the fun matchup to watch. And how many points will the Dolphins be able to put up? I think you have in the secondary, uh, Charvarius Ward, one side, Diamondor Lenora, who's come in, had not the best game of his life the other day, but generally has does, done a good job in the absence of Emmanuel Mosley. But I think that's going to be, that's what it's going to be all about. Can the 49ers bring pressure to Tua, potentially force him into mistakes and, Really, this is going to come down, I think, to the secondary because when you have Waddle and you have Tyree Kill, that's going to be a tough. That's going to be a tough challenge for the Fort Niners corners. Right, and and Tua's coming into this game uh, among the best stretch that he's had in his career, his young three year career. Uh, before the Texans game, where he was out, basically, I mean, the, the Dolphins led thirty to nothing at halftime. They basically decided they were going to let him have two drives in the second half and then uh, take him out. Uh, almost regardless, unless the Texans were just surging, and they almost did later on, but uh, where he <laughs> to, uh, nearly had to come back into the game, but uh, everything was fine, uh, holding on to a, a 15-point lead. But uh, but in that stretch, then where Tua three consecutive games of three touchdowns, no interceptions, uh, all games of uh, 135.0 or better quarterback rating, which were the best three games of his career, back to back to back against Cleveland, uh, Detroit, and Chicago. He had had tremendous uh, pass protection in front of him, and uh, Teron Armstead uh, at the forefront of that. And then as soon as Armstead went out in, late in the first half against Houston, 
all of a sudden it became a sack parade for the Texans uh, against the Miami mm-hmm. uh, front, the Miami offensive line. So where he, he had one sack that was negated by face mask, then another one that did count. And then uh, second half in just two drives, three more sacks uh, on him. Uh, so that really uh, has to worry you if you're a Dolphins fan uh, against now you're going to, and that was against the Texans. <laughs> you're about to face the number one <laughs> defense in the 49ers and Nick Bosa and his 11 and a half sacks. So uh, now there is a difference when you have a week to prepare for that. Obviously, yeah. You have a guy like uh, the caliber of, of Toronto Armstead go down mid game. Now you're scrambling a little bit. You put in a, a, a tackle in Brandon Show, who um, is so much more used to playing the right side. Now he's got to go in at the left side. Um, now with both of them now out, because Austin Jackson went out later in the game. Now you could go in with the game plan. Okay, we're going to leave Show uh, where he is more comfortable on the right side. Have Greg Little going at left tackle. Still concerning when you're, you're facing a guy like Bosa, but uh, that's going to be the key factor. Is now Tua after uh, almost. Maybe he got so used to uh, having that kind of pass protection all that time in the pocket. Now he's going to have to revert back to, uh, like I mentioned before, those 2.1 seconds average pocket time that he had. That was mm-hmm. the worst in the league in 2021 against that offense uh, or in front of that offensive line or behind that offensive line, I should say. So maybe he's going to have to be looking to get the ball out quickly. Uh, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, it's going to be vital for them to uh, get open early in their routes and uh, the short routes. Maybe they implement more of the RPO that uh, Tua is, uh, is so used to going back to college and um, earlier in his professional career, even that Mike McDaniel has uh, worked into the, uh, the offense, uh, especially having a guy who's proficient in the RPO like, like Tua. So maybe you count on more of that. Uh, it, you try to maybe lean on the run game, but that's a challenge as well because the 49ers have the top ranked run defense. So they do. Uh, all these facts. Yeah. And they're familiar and, with these two running backs <laughs> and they oh, yeah. did pra- yeah. and had practiced against them for years. So that's important too. I think that does factor in. Yeah, definitely. So uh, all, all these uh, factors marrying together to see uh, what ends up coming. And I think the Dolphins want to see if they do get the short passing game going, uh, picking up the yards after catch. We know Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are very capable, of course, uh, if they get the ball uh, on those shorter routes and then can take one to the house. But um, it hasn't really presented itself so much so yet. So if uh, if that can get going, then that would be a huge key for Miami. So before I let you go, one other thing we need to touch on, of course, is the 49ers offense, aside from the run game, which no Elijah Mitchell and potentially no Christian McCaffrey does change a lot of things for the 49ers offense. But Jimmy Garoppolo is coming off some of the best games of his career. He is not at an interception in a few weeks. And if you know Jimmy Garoppolo, and I am a, this is no disrespect to Jimmy Garoppolo, but there usually is one, what were you thinking, interception a game. We haven't seen those in quite some time. He's been looking great. This 49ers offense, was fine against the Chargers, amazing against the Cardinals, not great against the Saints, but they got the job done. But this is going to be one where they're going to have to put points on the board. It's going to have to be touchdowns, not field goals. And we will see uh, Debo Samuel dealing with a quad issue. So we'll see what happens there. Of course, they still have Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, Jawan Jennings, who's become third in Jawan. But what happens in that run game will be how they go on Sunday. So wanted to touch on that, but you have, now I'm going to put you on the spot, but I'll do it too. You have these two offensive geniuses and I'm, I'm including offensive weapons. I'm including the two head coaches, because I think this one's going to be a lot of fun. I think there's also, there's going to be some jarring wanting to one up each other. So I think it's going to be a fun game. It's an important game for both teams. Uh, it's a, it's a game that really matters. So I am now putting you on the spot and going to ask you for a prediction, but I'll do it too when you're done. Okay. Yeah. Well, and, and not just because I'm on a 49ers podcast, but I am picking <laughs> the 49ers uh, to win this game. I, I've done it uh, with, uh, in my own coverage uh, at sunsentinel.com in our videos and, and our predictions of uh, with our, our staff. I mm-hmm. say uh, San Francisco 23 Dolphins 17. Uh, so yeah, we still, we see the, the defenses uh, show out uh, a little bit and still some scoring, but uh, you know, there'll be some, some instances where, Kyle Shanahan and Mike McDaniel have their moments, some some uh, mm-hmm. play calling genius that we see. I, I like what you said, the try to one up each other, uh, see what <laughs> what tricks each one has up their sleeves. That uh, that maybe from knowing each other, they they think the other one won't be ready for. That'll be interesting to see that chess match. And uh, yeah, just going out west, a long travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, uh, and it's a, a lot of factors to overcome. Also, with the two tackles, uh, probably out for this game uh, against the, this defense. So I say 49ers win uh, by six, 23-17. All right. And I was going to pick 49ers win 24-17, and I'm doing it because of the 49ers defense. 
and the two tackles being out. I think I would have felt differently. And I also, I may have still picked San Francisco, but it, it may have, there may have been more points involved. It may have been closer, but I do think that that's going to make a difference. And I just think this defense is too good right now to be down two of your top tackles. So with that, David, thank you so much for joining me. This was a lot of fun. Uh, I will see you on Sunday and you guys next up. Let's talk some Michigan, Ohio State aftermath. Go Blue. All right, guys. Now that we've talked some 49ers, I am very excited to welcome to the show Colton Denning, host of the Two Stripes podcast and fan of the Ohio State Buckeyes. The fact that we have him on the show today just shows what good, solid citizens he and I both are and that we could put our differences aside and talk a little Michigan football. Colton, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, I wish the circumstances were a little bit better, but we were, we were talking uh, just pre before we started to record and like I, I've had my 20 years and now it's been Michigan the last two years and it's, it's extremely painful, but Hey, you know, you have to, you got to take the punches in the rivalry. If you can't do that, there's, it's not a rivalry then, right? So you got to be able to take the punches when you're down. And this is the first time in my life, really. I mean, I'm 32, but okay. I can't remember a time where it really felt like Michigan kind of has firm control of this. And so it's just brand new. And there's there's a lot of uh, lot of anger around the Ohio State fandom right now. So it's uh, it's it's something brand new. Well, it's, and it's funny you mentioned that. So first of all, one of my dear friends who I won't name, who's an Ohio state fan had said something to the effect of, well, at least now we can watch Michigan get beat down in a semifinal, which I thought was somewhat mean, but I like your attitude a little bit better, but you're right. They've been, it's been this rivalry has been going on for so long. Michigan really had not been in control of it since, well, forever, as you mentioned. And now these last two years, things have been different. And it's funny because Last year, so I'm going to go back to, to last year. By the way, I just think I have to bring up that Ohio State has not beat Michigan this decade, and I feel really good about that. Wow. And no matter what year we are in the decade, it's, it's very exciting. But so last year, going into the Ohio State game, I'd had my heart broken a couple months earlier or like six weeks earlier during the Michigan State game. And they were so good, though. They'd really hit their stride. And I said to my colleague, Josh Dubow, who was actually on the pod last week, he's, he's with the AP. And I said to my parents and my older brother that went to Michigan, I was like, you know what? I'm just expecting them to lose. They do this all the time. I get so excited. I get up early on game day. Then they break my heart and I'm sad. So now I just think they're going to lose. I'm not going to worry about it. So then I wake up on game day and I was like, text like the group. And I was like, I want them to win so badly. I don't even know what to do about it. And it was funny because, you know, it's always the 9 a.m. kickoff for us on Pacific time. So it's a 9 a.m. kickoff. I'd like made my coffee. I was in pajamas and I was, I walked my dogs. I was like, I'll change at halftime. Well, I was in pajamas like two in the afternoon. Cause then I was like, I can't change. What if I change? And they start the losing. I definitely can't mess up the mojo. So I was like, so excited. I cried. I literally cried. I was so excited. So then we now fast forward a year and I was talking to Josh a couple weeks ago and I was like, I don't know. What do you think? Like, do you think they can do it? And he had said, you know, I think Michigan, obviously they lose they lose Hutchinson. They lose, you know, players in the defensive line. Like that was really, those were huge losses. He said, but I think the corners are so good and the defense is still really good. He said, I also think, and this is so a few weeks ago, I was confident in that I was. And he said, I also think the running back duo of Corum and Donovan Edwards is about as good as it's going to get. And JJ McCarthy is probably the best quarterback Harbaugh's had. And, you know, will he able to show up? So I was like, I'm feeling confident. Three days later, Donovan Edwards breaks his hand. And I was like, well, this is not fun. Okay. One week later, Blake Corum hurts his knee. And I was like, it's the JJ McCarthy game. But I, I, something about Saturday morning, I was really nervous. Like I woke up and I was like, I didn't want to say anything to anybody because I didn't want to jinx it. So it's just like me and my dogs that can vouch for this. But I woke up and was like, I think they're going to win. I really, and even in the beginning when Michigan was sputtering, I was like, I'm oddly not that worried about it. I think they're going to win. And I got to give credit to JJ McCarthy because he really did. I mean, he did have to take over. He's 19 years old. I mean, I was thinking about that. Still like when I guy. was, 
so young. When I was 19 years old at the University of Michigan, let me tell you who is not <laughs> taking over a football game in a positive way. Me. So, I mean, it's just, it's, you forget that sometimes that they're so young. And it was really incredible what they all did, obviously. Cornelius, Donovan Edwards, the defense, it was incredible. My, my Lord and Savior, Jim Harbaugh, I'm Jewish, by the way, but my Lord and Savior, <laughs> Jim Harbaugh, who I like, absolutely love. But it was an incredible game. So, Instead of continuing to just put salt in your wounds, because it's really not what I'm here for, I want your take on CJ Stroud, future NFL quarterback, I'm sure, 0-2 versus Michigan. How do you feel about that? And feel free to, this is safe space, be honest. Uh, you know, I, I talked about this at length on on my podcast, and I did like a one-taker right. I mean, I didn't even wait till the game was over. There were three oh. minutes left, and I think it was after the first or the second Donovan Edwards touchdown. And I was just like, all right, it's, it's time to go. Um, and when it comes, when it comes to Stroud, it's interesting because he is arguably by any sort of measure on field, watching him play, watching him throw the ball, the best Ohio state quarterback I've ever seen. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I would probably take Justin Fields over him. Just if you measure everything up in the toughness and his will and just some of the stuff that he did in the short time that he played Ohio state at Ohio state. But Stroud is an amazing thrower of the football. And he's also extremely young. He got kind of thrown into a situation last year where he had to be the young pup with a bunch of vets and Mm -hmm. couldn't really be a leader because there were guys like Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave who kind of stood out above everything else. So it's hard for a young quarterback to, to step in and really command that. But now this year kind of, he's, he settled his way into that, but I still think he's still very raw when it comes to that. And I don't want to say immature because he's not immature. Um, but I think where Stroud is catching the most heat from people is it seems like he doesn't fully, no, I don't want to say fully grasp, but it, mm-hmm. it seems like he's almost an outsider to the rivalry and what it mm-hmm. means to be Ohio State's quarterback. And I really love him. But after the game, you know, he said something to the effect of like, hey, this is really tough, but we can't let one game define us. And oh, no, if this is the game that defines yeah, you. <laughs> it's like, hey, man, this is the one thing that defines you. And he's he's had a couple of quotes post games throughout his time over the last two years where he hasn't said anything bad, but it's like people have wanted wanted him to run the ball more. And he's like, well, I'm, I'm not a running back. I didn't come here to play running back. And mm-hmm. so there are times where it's almost like, man, help me help you. Even right. if you don't believe it, like even if you're not fully immersed, just lie because you're catching extra heat. And I, I didn't think he played bad on Saturday at all. I, I thought he actually played really well. And there were times in the second quarter uh, where I think it was the the touchdown drive, either the touchdown drive or the field goal drive. Um, we had the long throw to Harrison where he had a throw to Harrison on the left sideline. It was about 18 yards and just put mm-hmm. it right over his shoulder, right on the sideline, just a, a beautiful throw. And you, you see the talent. And so I, mm-hmm. I thought he played well in the, the turnovers at the end. That's a young quarterback pressing who can feel the pressure. And I mean, I'm sure you felt it and everybody else felt it just like I felt it. I didn't even have to be in the stadium. You could feel how tight it was for everybody and you could feel the pressure mm-hmm. in there. And I, I think that that really played a big role in kind of not just how Stroud played, but how the whole team played and how, how they were coached and just the whole atmosphere of the game. Well, I, it's interesting. Cause I do think the comments you mentioned that he made after this game and the running back comment, those, that attitude is going to serve him so well, well in the NFL. Like that is going to be like the best thing for him yeah. when he's an NFL quarterback. It's harder as a college quarterback, yeah. but I think especially the, I can't, we can't let one game define us thing. But you brought up coaching, and so I think it's worth bringing up. I I don't want to shock anybody, you or anyone listening, not a big Ryan Day fan. I know that that's (laughs) probably not surprising. Like, if Jim Harbaugh is my lord and savior, like, Ryan Day is like my antichrist, I guess. is that I don't know if that's correct, but, like, that's how we would go with it. That's totally fair. I think that would be the fair. So I'm not, not a big Ryan Day fan, but I feel like putting my personal feelings aside, they didn't feel well coached. No. And it also, they felt like, and I didn't feel this last year. So I will say in fairness, I did not feel this last year, but it did feel like they came in and this is a coaching thing with the attitude of like, we're going to win this and you not confidence, but like cockiness in a way, like this is, 
we got this and we don't even have to like they're without their best player and we got this we're eight point favorites and it feels like a little bit how they play did you feel that or am i being a full-on michigan homer and it's totally fine if i am I didn't because after la- that's how I felt last year. And they oh, said, so they said as much last year and they said mm-hmm. as much in uh, the off season, there were three, three or four different guys who said, you know, we kind of felt like uh, we kind of, it got apathetic towards Michigan. They said that. I didn't even know yeah. they said no, that. Oh, was, that would have made, made me hate them even on more. Record <laughs> who said that and not guys who have been around like younger guys. And that mm-hmm. made, that made me. And I think everybody else a lot more mad. Cause it was like, you haven't made any plays against Michigan. What, like, why do you think you can come in here and uh, like, Mm -hmm. it's just your birthright to beat them. And maybe that goes back to coaching because, you know, I, I was, uh, I I got killed on, on my platform back, you know, five, six years ago after Ohio state won the national championship. And then they, they lost to Clemson in 2016. They got shut out and me and a couple of other people, that's when we started to question kind of how the, the direction of the urban Meyer era was going. And so Mm -hmm. we were really the first ones to criticize that, but love him or hate him. The, the drive to beat Michigan was always there. And that kind of singular focus was always there, no matter what else was going on. And with day, it doesn't necessarily feel like that, but I feel like this year they came in not cocky, but I think they came in with the idea that being mad about what happened last year was going to be enough to put them mm. over the hump. Cause I mm-hmm. do think that they took them, they took them seriously and they didn't think that they were just going to roll over them. But I think that, uh, you know, they, they lost the game and then it got pounded into their heads, how important this was for all the young guys. And they got super upset about it. And they heard all the old players talking about how important it was. And so all year, you know, they would give quotes and like, Hey, it's, it's all about Michigan. It's all about Michigan. And I think they kind of thought that that would be enough to push them over the hump of like, okay, we just get mad that we lost and we're going to take it to them. And it wasn't because like yeah. you said, even early on in the, in the game, I mean, I, I thought that they completely outplayed them in the first quarter. I mean, they, the offense looked great they mm-hmm. were moving the ball. Michigan was on their heels and to their credit, they were able to take a couple of punches, but even at halftime, I was like, you know, if they make one play, if they get up 10 points, I don't know if, they're just going to, Michigan's going to be able to just throw every single down and come back from this. Mm-hmm. And they just, for whatever reason, couldn't do it. And so I think that was really their undoing in this whole game is they never really found that extra gear into Michigan's credit. They were able to take a punch and Ohio state kind of just got caught flat footed. And that's how you end up with where we're at right now. Well, and it's interesting couple of things. What I thought was interesting when you mentioned, you know, going into the half, Jim Harbaugh historically has not always been great at the second half adjustment. And that was something I think they did a really good job of this year. The other thing that was interesting is Ohio state a little bit started to fall apart. There was the headbutting on the sidelines, which Play was just, game. I mean, it really, it, that kind of thing to me, like if I were Ryan day, I potentially would have just on my own, like kicked him out of the game because that kind of thing in a rivalry game changes everything. First of all, you do it on the Michigan sidelines, which just from a smart perspective is not smart. Then you do it in front of the ref, which also not great thinking, but you change the complexion and the momentum of the entire game. And it's interesting because that happened. There was another, I think it was the unnecessary roughness call or another unsportsmanlike duck call, those kind of things used to happen to Michigan, to Jim Harbaugh teams back to his time in San Francisco and his time with Michigan. Like this, it was like, I was like, this is like watching these like earlier Jim Harbaugh undisciplined football teams. And that kind of stuff is inexcusable. And it was funny watching Jim Harbaugh when there was that skirmish. And I'm using that term loosely because it was almost a full on brawl being like, get back, get back. And I was like, this is a different Jim Harbaugh. Like it, it just, it just is, it wasn't kind of his thing before. And I'm saying like, even starting even back, you know, when he was in San Francisco, I don't know enough about his Stanford days. So it, it was kind of interesting to watch. I don't know. It's like Michigan just became, it just felt like they were a different team. He feels a little bit like a different coach and I don't know. It was interesting to watch. Go ahead. Yeah. And I, I think, and I don't know how many of your listeners are, are also fellow Michigan fans and they're going to hear this and think like, Oh, classic you know, Ohio state fan, even after a loss will say, Oh, they outplayed him. And I I don't think they did. I think Michigan totally deserved a win, but I think that their biggest strength 
on Saturday was they just didn't kill themselves. For uh, sure. I, I think looking, I, I've watched the game already like two or three times. I'm, oh, I'm one God. of those fans. Bless your heart. And Bless your heart. <laughs> like, I think that JJ McCarthy's best trait in that game was that he didn't do anything stupid. Because 100%. The, the touchdown throws, like, I don't want to say I could make them because I couldn't, but there are a lot of Big Ten quarterbacks, a lot of D1 quarterbacks that could have made those throws because some of those yeah. dudes were wide open down the field but he didn't turn the ball over. He didn't do anything stupid. Even Edwards, mm-hmm. even though he got close a few times with that broken hand to fumbling, mm-hmm. he didn't make any mistakes. Going back to the personal fouls, they didn't do anything stupid after the whistle. They just didn't beat themselves. And sometimes that's like, that's enough when you're, when you're in a tight game like that and you don't fall apart to where you get to the end of the game and you think like, look at this, look at how tight these guys are. We're in their house. And they've been so fired up and Mm -hmm. they're falling apart. Like these guys are, they're chatting with each other. I've heard Michigan players um, since the game saying stuff like, yeah, defensive tackles coming in, making tackles for loss for Ohio state. And like looking over at the sideline where the starters were and they were like, I've been doing that. You guys haven't been doing that all day. So just Mm -hmm. like infighting. And even, I I don't know if you Mm -hmm. saw the, the fake punt stuff. Uh, that that came out yesterday where Mm-mm. um so in that in that sequence which was really the sequence of the game when it was 24 to 20 and I think there was eight minutes left in the third quarter uh Michigan punts the ball Ohio State has it on their 49 first down you get the holding call which like sometimes you're gonna sometimes you're gonna hold you get beat on the yeah. play that's whatever but then that gets compounded by the 15 yard personal foul and so you have first and 35 you call mm-hmm. a toss play for three yards and then you kind of try to try to pick up the yardage and then it gets to, well, fourth. they did get close. Yeah, it's and fourth it, gets and to, six, right? it gets to fourth and six. And if you go back and watch, there's that clip of Stroud telling day, like, no, leave us on and day saying, you know, come off. We're going to punt and everybody killed day for that, including myself. But mm-hmm. then after the game, it came out that on that play, if you go back and watch the punt, Ohio state tried to call a fake punt there and the snapper, didn't snap it to the up man. He snapped it to the punter. And I guess Harbaugh was at a, like a webinar the other day and said, like, we knew it was coming. We saw the personnel that they had on the field and they had us dead to rights. Like they would have scored a touchdown on the play. And if you look at how they blocked it, it was wide open and it was right there. And that goes back to like just simple execution. There was Mm -hmm. one team that executed and there was one team who didn't. And that's why Michigan, to me at least, that's why they came out on top is because they executed and Ohio State didn't. And good good teams, championship teams, they execute. Well, and that's the difference. The execution, the not beating yourselves. When you have two undefeated teams, I mean, you were two of the two top four teams in the country. You, know, you had a number two versus number three. Both 11 and 0. I mean, honestly, Fox had to be having like a party. They're like, we oh, could not have scripted it. this better. They're number two or three in the country. They're both 11 and 0. Like, it was so perfect. But that's the stuff that will make the difference. It's going to yep. be execution and it's going to be not beating themselves. And I also think Michigan did a very good job with matchups. Like, it, kind of going back to being well coached, they really saw the matchups, they saw the strengths, they saw the weaknesses. I Michigan probably knew they weren't going to have Blake Corum. I kept joking with my dad. So I watched it with like my niece and nephew, my brother, my, my mom and dad. And I kept being like, all right, this is where they're bringing Blake Corum out. This genius. Harbaugh is genius. They're going to bring him out. Now they've been saving him. And it kept like, I just kept saying that, but I think Michigan knew they weren't going to have yeah. him. I mean, honestly, if Blake Corum played in this game, it may have been like 100 to whatever. Um, but you know, I think they really knew what they had to do. And as you said, they executed. And a lot of those, those JJ McCarthy passes and touchdowns. I mean, some of them were really not pretty. They were like, they're like spiraling through the air. And I'm like, Oh God, but they, they got it done. And I I give him credit because I think part of the reason it was such a gutsy performance from him, because you're right. I think there are other big 10 division one quarterbacks that certainly could have certainly could have played as well, maybe even better. But I think the reason it was such a gutsy performance is because this is a a 19 year old kid, his first year as a starter who the entire season has been able to rely on an unbelievable running game. Yeah. You've had a Heisman candidate 
and Donovan Edwards. And he, and it made his job a lot easier. It gave him the ability to have a really good football team and have them win every week with him still being able to learn. And here in the biggest game of his very young college career, he didn't screw it up. No turnovers, no intercepts. Like that's, and that's huge. And I think that says, I think it says a lot. I think Michigan should be very excited for the JJ McCarthy era going forward. I think that says a lot. And I think for them go going on, the Big Ten Championship is on Saturday against Purdue. So I don't know, will Blake Corum be healthy enough to play? But should they win that game and make it to the playoff? In theory, maybe Blake Corum is healthy yeah. enough to play. And I think it gives the team so much confidence. On a personal note, this game at Siri was starting to, I don't know <laughs> who she was going to text this podcast to. Um, <laughs> maybe an Ohio State fan. Um, <laughs> on a personal note, the championship is at SoFi. You know, and I, I'm between LA and the Bay. So on a personal level, I, I don't care if they go to the championship and get trounced by Georgia. I want to be there to see it. I want to be there and have my heart broken in person. I don't even think my heart would be broken. I'd be so happy to be there. I'd be totally fine. Um, and so I don't know, it'll be interesting. So now I guess as we move forward past the epic Michigan, Ohio state game, what happens next for Ohio state? Where's what's the next Cause in theory, they still could maybe go to the playoff. Correct. Yeah, no, that's, that's the thing is like, if on Friday night, if USC loses, I mean, I guess we'll find out we're recording this on Tuesday. So the, the playoff rankings come out tonight, right? Like they probably will come out tonight. We, this, the podcast will go live on Friday. So we're recording it on Tuesday, but I'll be able to, once we, I'll be able to just add in before, before we get started what they are. Then at the, at the risk of sounding stupid, like if USC loses, Ohio state's going to be in the playoff. Like, and, and mm-hmm. we'll see, like there, maybe there's a scenario where uh, LSU gives Georgia, you know, a pretty good game and Georgia wins late and it's ugly. And then Michigan kind of does the 2019 LSU thing where they come in number two, Ohio state comes into the big 10 championship. Number one, Ohio state struggles with Wisconsin a little bit and LSU blows out. I, I forget who it was. Uh, I think it was Georgia. And mm-hmm. maybe Michigan does that with Purdue and Michigan flip flops with Georgia at number one. And then you find yourself with two, three TCU, Georgia and one, four Ohio state, Michigan. And I so, don't think they'll allow it. I don't think I there's think, any way they'll allow it. I, I think I, they would love it. I, I think, think they, they would, would love it for it the up. championship championship game, but I don't know if they let it happen for the semifinal, but I will tell you the, um, I will tell you that the idea of a Michigan Ohio state championship game, I mean, there's so many things that have to happen, but I, I mean, people, how many people do you think that would watch that? Like a billion. It would <laughs> or be crazy. <laughs> and so many people would just hate it. And it would be the funniest thing uh, in the world. And like, I, I do have to say like, I, of course I want to see them in the playoff. Like if I'm, if I'm being honest, I would love to see them. I'm, I'm certainly not campaigning them campaigning for them to be in the top four after last week. Right. But there is a part of me, a very large part of me that just wants to see TCU and USC win. So I don't have to see him play, but one more game and like the Rose bowl. And cause with, and maybe it's, I, I always say to people like it's the smallest violin when you're an Ohio state fan and they go 11 and one and everybody's like, wow, look at how angry and like just, ugly and nasty those fans mm-hmm. are right now and how they feel like so many teams would kill for that. And if you're not in it, you're never going to understand like what that standard is. You know, they won the Rose mm-hmm. bowl last year and it was cool to watch them beat Utah, but it was like, man, they really missed out on a great chance. And mm-hmm. I would say out of any of the major teams, they're probably the biggest underperformers. And even with day being yeah. 45 and five or whatever his record is, it's just not good enough. And so, mm-hmm. uh, to me that there, there's a large portion where I just don't want to see him make it because this team got to the Michigan game and it wasn't just that they lost because I think that that final score is a little bit misleading at the end. Yeah. And it was the fact that like, man, you guys just kind of look like you quit and yeah, they did like as angry and upset as Ohio state fans can get. Like I can, I can accept like, you're going to lose games. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. Alabama loses games. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're going to lose sometimes, but at the end at home on senior day, after, you know, everything you talked about last year about how important this game is and how you understand it now, 
and you kind of just give up, like that to me really kind of is like, okay, just you're, you're done. You're out of here. So like, even if, uh, if the committee put 11 and two or whatever, 10 and two Alabama over them, I'm not going to be like, Oh, that's unfair. I'll be like, man, you kind of made your own bed. It could have been a mm-hmm. 30 to 24 loss or a 30 to 23 loss. And you would have been in a much better position, even with loss than you are today, but you kind of gave up at the end. So there's nothing really to complain about. And I think that's kind of where I stand on it, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens to USC and TCU because I think that it's likely that one of them loses and then it's just like all hell breaks loose as it always does. And of course it always has to revolve around Ohio state. And I'm just like, just once let's just get in and like not have to worry about it. But you know, it's always the drama in the middle of it. They do. They do love the drama. I will be rooting really hard for USC on Friday because I don't know that my heart can take another Michigan, Ohio State game. It's so much stress and leading up to it. And, you know, I said um, a friend of mine has another close friend who went to Michigan and I was like, oh, is he this is a few weeks ago. Is he as nervous about the Ohio State Michigan game as I am? And she said, oh, I don't know. I was like, then he's not because it's like all I talk about. (laughs) So So if you don't know that he's definitely not. And like, I just. I don't know if I could take it again. It's funny on the underperforming thing. My friend said to me last week, he was like, Ohio State has underperformed all season, but I think they'll play their best on Saturday. And they really, they just did not. And it's funny because if if they were to play again, whether it would be in the semifinals or the national championship, I don't know if I want to say, like, I don't know which fan base would be more nervous, but it would certainly have like, the most on steroid stakes of any Ohio state Michigan game (laughs) of all time. And the, like the, the legacies and the storylines of it would be so crazy. Cause I think for Ohio state, it's like, usually you get another year after a loss, right. In that game, Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, we have to wait another year. And the fans are already just circling around Ryan day. And it's like, if you get Michigan a month later, you either get immediate, the immediate chance to like, respond to that and do it in the playoff or you lose to Michigan twice in the span of a month. And like, now we're really starting to talk about, okay, is it time to cut bait? And if you're Michigan, Mm -hmm. it's what we talked about at the start where for the first time in 20 years, you've gained firm control of the rivalry. And in a regular year, you would say like, we don't have to deal with them for a whole Mm -hmm. calendar year. And then it's like, you get back. And if you lose, then it's like, okay, now it's everything's back up in the air and we lost in the playoffs. So like, what does that win earlier really even mean? So, and not to say that would happen, but like the possibility of just pure chaos for both programs, it's, it's one of those things that you only see in the playoff era. And even within four teams, you don't see it a lot, but there's part of me that really wants to see it. But a big part of me, like I said, that's just like, no, they should have to sit in this for a full year because they really don't deserve it. Well, I think chance, I mean, first of all, fight on and go frogs. Um, that's my <laughs> feeling for the weekend. Who does TCU play this weekend? They play Kansas state. Okay. I mean, I think in theory, everybody should win the games they're supposed to win, but you never know you never on know. any given Friday, Saturday, I think it's Friday and Saturday. I think on this weekend it's on any given Friday yep. and Saturday. Um, but I I uh I think Michigan will beat Purdue. I think they did, you know, last year I was worried about the Ohio State to Big Ten championship hangover. They played Iowa, they beat Iowa. And the thing that made me feel not concerned about this year was how like pretty much everyone after was like, no, the job's not done. This yeah. is huge, but the job is not done. So feel good about that. I will be wearing. So I, it's funny. Cause when I came to pick my game down, but I'm very superstitious. And, um, I was like, well, I guess everything I've worn this season has worked. Like, like yeah, everything. There's really nothing that's been there was nothing, a loss. No, there's nothing that had been a loss, but I'm going to wear in case anyone was worried about it or cares <laughs> or in case you do, I'm going to wear what I wore Saturday because now I feel like that's got to be like the, that's the winning combo. That's the winning combo. It's got to take me through. Uh, so that is, that's my big plan. So you guys, you're welcome. Now you don't, nobody has to worry about that. Nobody <laughs> has to worry about what I'm wearing on Saturday. Um, but this has been really fun, Colton. You're, you know what, you're a great fan generally because 
you could be honest and appropriately critical, but still be a fan. And so it was really fun to talk to you. Oh, thank you. And like, I'm, if, if people don't hate me enough for being an Ohio state fan, I'm a Cowboys fan too. So oh, like, I, my being, listeners are probably going to hate you. Yeah, way no, being, yeah, no. And, and I mean, you know, uh, like, you know more about my personal life and what a divide yeah. that makes in my household. Woo! So like, la- yeah, last January, that was fun. Uh, so like, I'm used to the the heartache and just the craziness of what they bring. And, uh, you know, I think um, being a fan and it's, it's great to have these discussions with, with other fans and Mm -hmm. just kind of how we, how we talk about our teams. And like, I feel like whenever you're critical or you, you have any sort of criticism, it's like, Oh, are you really a fan? And it's like, no, that, I think to me, that's what being a real fan is, is being realistic and, being critical, it's easy to when your team keeps losing to just be like, uh, what, you know, whatever, you know, this is, this is my team. You know, I, I love these guys no matter what. And when they win, it's like, oh, everything's great. You know, nothing's wrong with the team. That's easy to do. It's easy to be a fan like that. It's mm-hmm. not easy to like when your team is winning to be like, eh, I, I don't know if this is going to be able to keep up or if they're losing to be like, you know what? I'm not watching this week. Like they don't deserve my time. And you're always going to come, you're always going to come back to them, but it's like, no, I I don't think so this week. And like, yeah, that's fair. It's, I think those are the nuances of, of being a fan. And when you root for, you know, big teams like we do, then it's just the craziness that comes with everything. Well, I said this earlier this week on this podcast, I'm going to say it again, just to make my listeners hate me a little bit more. I love to go to Prescott. (laughs) (laughs) i I don't think i don't think they do or maybe maybe they do after after the playoffs last year like i don't think they do and i my guest earlier the week was like i can't believe you just said that uh, out loud on this podcast but i do but you know i i can still be i don't know i'm a reporter now it's different so i always go with that that's my excuse i'm a reporter now it's totally different uh but this was super fun tell everybody where they can find you and your podcast yeah, you can find me uh, just Two Stripes Podcast. You search that on SoundCloud, on uh, Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. I have a separate podcast just for Ohio State and then one within that feed kind of for all college football. Uh, if you want to drown in my tears over the <laughs> game, you can go listen to that one taker. You can follow me on Twitter at Dubsco. Uh, all my writing work is at twostripescpd.com. And then my kind of main bread, bread and butter is uh, my YouTube channel. And that's where all my college football highlights are. So uh, youtube.com slash Colton Denning. And you can find all the the cool college football stuff that I got up there. Well, we will have you back. I mean, if they play each other again in the playoff, we'll for sure have you back. But either way, we'll have you back definitely next year, if not before. Um, We'll watch this crazy weekend and see what happens. It'll be exciting. I hope um, it's chalk. I don't, I just don't want to deal with it anymore. I mean, I kind of don't either. So like I told, I think we are, this is a place where you and I are on the same page. We come together. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, have a great rest of your day and I'll talk to you later. Michael. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.